comes back to that choosing a good therapist. There's got to be a fit. And that fit is most likely going to come from a therapist who has done their own work, who continues to do their own personal work, right? And is therefore able to be present to you in wherever you are. Welcome to part four of Between Two Therapists, a special series in this podcast where I interview psychotherapists Frank Kewen and Peter Sithakos about their experiences in the field of mental health and well-being. In this final episode of the series, the three of us talk about early childhood experiences and their impact on our development, finding the right therapists, and how to approach the financial, financial investment of working with a therapist, which can get kind of expensive if uh, you don't have coverage. The key learning I had from this conversation was the importance of the relationship between the client and the therapist. Uh, Frank and Peter offer some really good advice on how to assess the fit with a potential therapist, whether it be the types of questions that you can ask or how to approach meeting with at least two or three different therapists to really determine if there's a good um, relationship you can build on. You know, alongside the therapist's experience in various techniques, the level of safety and trust you feel with the therapist is actually the most important element of finding the right person to work with, which was really interesting to to me and kind of obvious at the same time, right? You want to be working with somebody who you can trust and feel safe around. If you've listened to all four parts of this series, thank you so much for making it this far. Uh, I've got more interviews coming up around this space of mental health and well-being as we roll on further into this season. We'll cover a a diverse array of themes, uh, including the intersection of mental health and career development, or uh, tools and resources like mindfulness and meditation, uh, and so much more. So I'm excited to bring you more of these episodes, but in the meantime, please enjoy part four of Between Two Therapists. Yeah, so but so the childhood thing is really interesting to me, and I think we can spend lots of time yes. uncovering that. But I'm just curious, from clients that you work with, what percentage like are, are dealing with childhood-rooted issues? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. There was a study done um, in the U.S., uh, oh, I forget the number of years ago, the ACEs study, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Mm-hmm. And what they did with this study was they tracked um, thousands of um, people uh, and they uh, mapped out their adverse childhood experiences, so different types of trauma, and uh, coded that so that they could then track the person over time. Mm. And this was a longitudinal study, thousands of people involved. And what they found was that they were able to, with a statistically significant accuracy, predict future mental health and physical health problems based on the total score of the adverse childhood experiences. Wow. Yeah. There's a wonderful TED Talk on it if if, if, uh, viewers or listeners are interested in, in hearing more about that. The adverse childhood experiences that we have, I believe, are primarily what drive people into therapy. There are, Aside yeah. from the TED Talk, yeah. there will be a talk given by Frank Hewen and <laughs> really? okay. uh, to be, uh, uh, to be determined shortly. Yes. Okay. Um, Great. Yeah, back to your question about like early experiences or um, 
I wouldn't say 100% of my population, but near 100. There are some people that come with um, uh, a situational, uh, wrong place, wrong time. Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Situation, you know this uh, this practice, which is downtown Toronto, sometimes experiences that where mm-hmm. you know a woman made a wrong turn on the street on her way home when she was drunk, okay. um, and something happened that she wishes did not. Right. Uh, uh, victims of random violence or or rape or sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. The, yeah. Um, other, but at the same time. There's been people who've come here with that happening, and then they're like, well, this is the fourth time it's happened. Mm. It's like, well, okay, maybe yeah, there's something out. more than this thing that appears random. Mm-hmm. I think of this uh, woman in her you know, early, mid-20s who uh, came here after being in four physically abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. This isn't random. Right, right. Despite... You know the presentation, her presentation, and the presentation of her friends might just leave it as, "Oh, why does this always happen to you?" Yeah, I just picked the wrong man. You know, what that. You know, where did you learn how to pick a partner mm-hmm. like that? Um, so some stuff that appears random is not is absolutely not random and would be part of this study, mm-hmm. like where it be rooted in one's upbringing. Mm-hmm. So it's sometimes hard to d- distinguish between, let's say, these random mm-hmm. events versus one that actually has a historical origin. Right. It would take a lot of... Uh, it, it speaks to the skill of the therapist um, to help differentiate the two. Because mm-hmm. a lot of therapists will not go deeper on something that appears random. Because mm-hmm. they'll take the client's word, no, I didn't have any of this in my history. Um, and then you do a little bit of exploring it's like well yeah you do yes you just don't have any it just somehow you didn't connect the fact that you're beaten up by the you're at 17 and then again at 21 again at 23 and now you're 27 Mm. you know those three other times it had nothing to to do with you it's just a violent person right yeah. No. I mean, those. Yeah. So also, in in things that really are random, um, it doesn't mean that those random occurrences don't evoke early childhood experiences right. and touch unresolved things from early childhood. So to look at, uh, I think, uh, like Peter was saying, to look at uh, both mm. and to look at everything. And it's, it's very humbling for me as a therapist to know that there's always more going on. Right. Always. Right. Yeah. And that, and that keeps me curious. One, like, yeah. you know, if I were to do like a one or two liner on it, it would be, what is it from one's upbringing that, um, you know, we could look at contributor to that person being in that situation where this random thing happened. Uh, the other would be, was it from their history that resulted in them uh, let's say, needing more additional skills or capacity to address what happened. Mm-hmm. 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 Right? Like, you know, if someone had the perfect life, perfect development, in quotes, would they be here based on what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, an example would be someone being here for a breakup. 
uh, which it happens some, from time to time they end up in here. Mm-hmm. But was it that you know they don't think anything happened from their life that resulted in them not being able to handle a breakup? Right, right. Um, but really, how come those tools were lacking? Mm-hmm. Um, or like what dreams were shattered? Often when I speak to people, when they come, let's say, for a breakup, mm-hmm. it's more what I see is, a, well, they describe themselves this way. Um, I'm desperately trying to keep this person, and I don't know why, even though they're telling me they don't want me. And um, I'm not totally sure I want them either, but I desperately want them. Mm. They're treating me poorly, but I want them. What's that? It can't just be I can't get over a breakup. Mm. Right. Yeah. Right? So people self-diagnose. Or their friends say, you know, man, they're taking that breakup hard. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to... Like you took the last breakup hard. <laughs> and the one before that. <laughs> and then remember that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or remember you, you kept getting back together with that person and then yes. breaking up again and back yes. together and then broken again. again. Yeah. Um, you know, the, these types of patterns. Uh, yeah. what, what does that say about one's background? Right. Um, it's, um, I might have mentioned this in our first part of the interview. Um, uh, do, do you guys know Richard Feynman? The famous mm. physicist, physicist. No, I'm not familiar. Yeah, uh, really interesting man. But he has a, a great quote about, uh, basically, about life. Uh, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool, right? Yeah. So I think this is kind of similar yeah. situation where you you tell yourself stories, or you you have a version of it that may not actually meet up with reality, right? Um, I have that stuck on my notepad because I'm like always thinking, okay, am I fooling myself? Am I telling myself a story here or is this real? And, and having a therapist to kind of give you the objective along with actually like good community, right? Good friends who can tell you what is going on can really be a powerful bench to, you know, keep you going in the right direction. Yeah. Um, or at least resetting the course. Or at least reset, of course. Tipping Continuous the stone, exactly. yeah, back to early order. reset, hundred yeah. percent. Um, I just want to shift gears a little bit to um, the types of therapy that are mm. out there. Um, so, in the last conversation we had, we were talking a little bit about um, uh, the parent relationship and and how childhood impacts us. Uh, even early on in that conversation, we talked about the how do you deal with the, the stigma around therapy and how do you know when you need some support from others, um, specifically in this case, therapist? I just want to shift gears with this conversation on the, the, the lay of the land when it comes to therapy out there because it mm-hmm. seems like there's hundreds of different options um, for our hundreds of different some symptoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, can you guys give me a high level? You don't have to go in, like every nook and like permutation of therapy, right. but what are the general buckets of therapy that are out there and, and, and most common? Okay. Um, I actually want to answer a different question first, if that's okay. Sure, yeah. The, and it's um, because people will often ask the question, uh, what, are, what are effective therapies? Right? So Alan Schnorr, who's a, an author and writes a lot about psychotherapy, did a review of the research around effective modalities, therapeutic modalities, mm. um, and he found 
that he researched over 450 different therapeutic modalities. This was eight or nine years ago. So there are even more today. Mm. And uh, what his, his review of the research found was that the primary predictor of whether a therapeutic modality would be effective or not was the therapeutic alliance between the client and the therapist. So can you repeat that? The therapeutic? The, the therapeutic alliance. Okay. The positive relationship. Mm-hmm. Right? The felt sense of the client that the therapist was present, sees them, with them, mm-hmm. supporting them, right? sometimes challenging them. That therapeutic alliance, regardless of the modality, was the primary predictor of successful clinical outcomes. Mm. So that I may be trained in a, uh, say, an, um, an American Psychological Association modality called clinical EFT, which I am trained in. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, if I don't have a good therapeutic alliance with my clients, the modality is not going to be effective. Mm. If I have a good therapeutic alliance with my clients, then we can reasonably predict that we're going to have very good outcomes. If I have a good therapeutic alliance with clients and I have no training in any modalities, I might be a pretty good therapist. Mm -hmm. But I also might be a terrible therapist. I don't know. I might then just be a really good friend. Mm -hmm. So the combination of skills in a particular modality and the ability to be present to a client. I think that's some of the stuff that we talked about in the previous one. Mm -hmm. Those, so it comes back to that choosing a good therapist. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a fit. And that fit is most likely going to come from a therapist who has done their own work, who continues to do their own personal work, Mm -hmm. right? And is therefore able to be present to you in wherever you are. Mm. So that's a long answer to your question, but I think it's a really important frame to bring because people can can get sold a bill of goods. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the right modality for you. Well, if you've got the right modality and the wrong therapist, you're not going to get good outcomes. Mm -hmm. Great point. Yeah, Yeah, you're describing a synergy. Yes. That was way more concise. (laughs) (laughs) That's a strength that I have. Peter just said that I would not know exactly what that means, so what would... Tell me more about synergy. What does that look like to you? Um, when, uh, like, a harmonious connection between the, let's say, the therapist who they are, uh, the client who they are, and the modality, the appropriate modality. Because uh, good therapists have more than one modality. Yes. Mm. You know, some therapists are, you know, are one or two trick ponies. It can be very limited. In, um, like, CBT, there's a million CBT therapists in this world. CBT being? Cognitive Cognitive Behavioral Behavioral Therapy. therapy. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a million of them. It's uh, the most basic thing that you would teach in a therapy school. Mm -hmm. And it tells me that they didn't (laughs) learn anything since they left school. so when you're looking at modalities, uh, the ones that are more complicated are the ones that require more training. It also requires uh, the more complicated ones are the ones that are older in history. Hmm. Uh, the psychoanalytic ones, you're, you're, you know, Freud, Young, Franz Perls, uh, Kohut, um, following the line of psychoanalysts. People who know a lot of the history of psychotherapy are going to know the modalities tied to it. Hmm. 
uh, including the the more modern techniques like uh, popularized, let's say, by Peter Levine, the somatic experiencing, which is uh, also an integrative therapy, which includes the body as well as psychotherapy. Mm. There's a lot of psychodrama gestalt tied to it. Mm. Um, so someone who could, uh, when you're looking for a therapist who, when you're searching modalities, everyone's going to say they're integrated when you go online, mm -hmm. but they aren't actually so. Um, like a good therapist be able to tell you what modality they're using and when, in the room in real time. So my clients can ask me, well, what, what, what the hell was that? What kind of question was that? You know, this was developed by blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is what it's called. Uh, it was a, I did it at this time, partially based on how much time is left in the session, or um, why did I answer, ask that question? There's a reason. Mm. Um, so it's, it's hard to s search a particular modality for, for yourself. Um, but when you want someone that's, you're saying that they're integrated, or uh, you could t do a little therapy test or knowledge test. You know, like let's say you, so let's say someone took my advice and said, "Hey, I'm gonna go visit three therapists that I think are good, and I'm gonna do a session with each of them." Could plant questions. So, what theory was that question? Or what just happened here? You know, at the end of a session, the first session with me, I would, the client would, should be able leaving with some sort of improvement or some sort of path or an understanding of what the actual diagnosis is that we're treating because without the right diagnosis of what what is the actual problem here not what I think like the client thinks is the problem but what is the actual problem and has the therapist been able to communicate or align him me with this diagnosis does it feel right does it make sense they just come out of the air mm -hmm. you know it just comes out of the air it doesn't mean anything but if it's through the therapeutic alliance or the bond that's being created mm. between the therapist and uh, the client. Um, and then you can discuss the modalities that were used to get there or the, you, the right modality to address um, parts of the treatment plan. Because, you know, something might be used in an early stage of therapy that you're not going to use later. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I, I'm just imagining mm -hmm. if I'm a person interested in psychotherapy and, you know, I walk into a potential therapist's office, um, just, you know, I think my general anxiety would be I, I have no place in trying to test that person. Like, it would be really right. hard for me to do because I would have no background. And even if I did a, re a little bit of research, they could say things to me that I don't really understand. And all of a sudden, I'm like... Right. Uh, okay, um, so I think there's a few things that I get from you guys around, you know, so the relationship is really important. Yeah. Uh, trying out, you know, a couple of different therapists to see if there is that match. Um, looking up their background on how, how, how many modalities, so to speak, that they have. Um, what... What can a layman in the world of psychotherapy do in addition to what you've been suggesting to really feel the, the fit, like to, to do the research that makes them feel comfortable this is the right 
person. Right. So um, again, there's no uh, cookie cutter, but there are some things that are helpful. Yeah. So if you're looking for a therapist because you recognize that you have unresolved trauma in your life, you want to start with therapists who have training and experience with resolving trauma. Sure, right. Okay. And you want to know that they have uh, an integrated approach to that, so multi-modality. Mm -hmm. And also to let yourself be um, cognizant that trust is incremental and adult trust is evidentiary. So when we say you want to be able to trust your therapist, that's an incremental thing. Mm. And it's based on evidence of what happens in the session and how you are afterwards going forward and into the next session. Mm. Yeah. It's the actual impact. Are you seeing right. some changes happening? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Trusting one's uh, experience even after one session. Yes. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, I know when they do these kinds of experiments, they see one and they walk out feeling pretty good. So they may not continue the journey of seeing another, you know, a second or a third to actually see the difference mm -hmm. in their lives. Like, oh, someone could feel better talking about things, um, but the feeling fades. Yeah. Uh, and there's no change, like lasting. Mm. Right. Um, a comparative analysis is meant to capture a type of self-trust in the process. Yeah. To not put all of one's eggs in one basket, and if the basket, you know, you know, it doesn't work out, you know, you can't dismiss therapy, mm -hmm. you, you saw one. Um, so, you know, part of it is like developing this type of self-trust or intuition, hey, this is, a, this is better for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe I didn't feel like a million bucks when I left, like the first person, but I actually have something to, to work on, mm -hmm. or like I'm more knowledgeable or self-aware after with working with this person. Mm -hmm. So maybe I don't feel as good. Um, so like the, how to decide afterward is, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. If it if it went well, there should be something afterward for you. It doesn't necessarily have to be a task or homework, mm -hmm. but like the actual self-work when you leave and you think about what happened on your own, what was that experience like? And one of the reasons people are hesitant to see more than one therapist actually mm -hmm. is cost. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, hey, I already spent, you know, 200 bucks seeing this person. I don't want it to be a waste, so I'm going to spend another 5000 Um, You know, it could all be, you know, just burned money. Mm -hmm. You know, the cost of therapy should be understood as front-loaded because um, finding the right fit, the right person to treat the problem or treat yourself or help you help yourself. Like, the money isn't to the therapist. Mm-hmm. It's money spent on self, but uh, that's not how people view fees, let's say, or the cost of therapy. Mm -hmm. How much money do I want to spend on myself? Well, I'm going to go to Cancun next year. Okay, well, great. I'm not saying you can't do that, but when it's uh, a comparative analysis of, well, I already spent a little bit of money on this therapist. I mm -hmm. can't try another. Mm -hmm. um, you're trying to invest in the best therapist for you so that you long-term spend the least right right you know especially if you want to look at it from a this will prevent me from having a divorce sure 
right? The therapist, you're only paying for the time that you're physically in the space. Like the cost of divorce is astronomical and you pay forever. Mm. Mm. Not necessarily forever monetarily, but you could be paying for 20 years emotionally. Yeah. And monetarily. Yeah. Yeah, that's reality. Like right. those are the comparative cost analysis of, you know, like you go see a divorce lawyer. Hey, did you guys do therapy? Yeah, we saw someone. Three times. Yeah. Didn't work. One session. <laughs> we went once. We didn't okay. like it. We said, forget it. We might as well book a meeting right. with a lawyer and cut our losses or something right. like this. Right? right. There's no, the investment isn't in therapy. The investment is on me and what do I deserve? Mm. You know, why do I not want to spend money on me? Mm. Do I think that low of myself to not put money on me? Right. Do yeah. I want to sacrifice some things so I can spend it on me? And also it's, a, it's really helpful to, and I've done this in my own life at certain times, ask myself, well, how much money am I spending on uh, trying to take care of myself in ways that are not effective? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much money am I not attracting and earning because of uh, certain beliefs that mm-hmm. I hold about myself? Mm. Yeah. I remember a cocaine yeah. addict mm. wanted to work with me and he came in the second session he wanted to discuss at the very beginning of the second session he wanted a fee reduction because he can't afford the therapy mm-hmm. I was like okay let's, let's discuss this I was like okay get out a pad I want you to fill in the blank how much are you spending on cocaine a week he writes a number. Uh, how much are you spending on the alcohol that's tied to the cocaine? Mm-hmm. He writes it down. How much are you spending on the prostitutes that sometimes accompany it? It doesn't happen every time, but sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost when you go for like late night food for Chinese? Yeah, he writes that down. Ubers, taxis. Yeah, the Ubers. <laughs> what are all the costs that are tied to this? How many relationship arguments and do you have what's was there a dollar amount tied to that like how many plans get ruined how much are you paying carrying your visa mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you just yeah right so at the end of this math equation i said oh, so if you um pay for therapy and cut out all these things you still have a net benefit of a thousand a month mm-hmm. well you should increase your fees yeah. Uh, yeah, that's one lesson. <laughs> that wasn't my first takeaway message. Even though no, I joked with him that I was course. like, I should ask. Yeah, you should, yeah. you should be paying, paying more double, right. uh, for this time. But uh, a lot of people, when they're evaluating the situation or the therapy, is it worth it? Yeah, there's a, a blindness on um, the cost of the life that they're living. Mm. Like, that's not even factoring in, actually, in this math equation I did with him, as what are the health costs? Mm-hmm. How much works, work absenteeism is there? Mm-hmm. Or just decreased performance because of the substance use, usage? Mm-hmm. You know, is it cost promotions or bonuses? Right. I, so when we're, when we're thinking about the cost of psychotherapy, um, it is important to really think about what you are currently paying and what you're might gain from 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 fixing these these challenges i just play devil's advocate 
it is still a challenge to pay for fees uh, for, for most psychotherapists, you know, that yes. are good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering for, for those watching and listening, they're, they know they have something that they want to talk to a professional about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's coming to the point where it's, um, they're willing to invest in it, but they also may not have the finances all sorted out. Is there anything that you that you suggest that the resources or books or things that they can start doing in in preparation for therapy or for sure yeah, yeah. so um, one thing and it, again it, it comes back to something that I said earlier coming to your own assistance is always okay mm-hmm. doing something to change what isn't working is better than doing nothing mm-hmm. to change what isn't working so if someone's uh, resources are in a situation where they've looked at their budget and they simply cannot cut out anything mm-hmm. and cannot afford to pay private psychotherapy and work for an employer who has no benefits provided in that whole kind of stark situation. Right. Then seeing their family doctor, many family uh, medical practices have a uh, psychotherapist or social worker or counselor who is involved with them. Mm-hmm. and trying to get on a wait list for that is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, going to uh, Canadian Mental Health Association and accessing whatever free services are available. Um, seeking out uh, peer support groups that, are, uh, that have a good reputation and have, have been longstanding um, are good things to do. So doing something to come to your own assistance is always better than doing nothing. Some psychiatrists, which in the Canadian context would be covered by the government, Mm -hmm. and some of them do talk therapy. Mm -hmm. So not all psychiatrists do um, medication. medication. Um, You know, as talk therapists, we have a a knowledge of uh, the prescription medications. We're not anti-prescription medication. Sometimes it's it helps facilitate the the necessary growth that can happen through talking, and sometimes people come off medications through this process. Um, but some people have uh, brain diseases mm-hmm. where there may always be a prescription component to their self care, um, and that's important to re- to recognize in uh, in different jurisdictions. We would have different. Uh, legal powers, you know, in the United States, for instance, I can prescribe. Mm-hmm. I cannot hear. It's just uh, different legislation. Yeah, different government bodies, different. You know, even province to province, there's some different rules. Right. Uh, just like in the United States, there's different state laws with uh, the power that some therapists have versus other therapists, despite everyone having the appearance of similar titles. Yeah. So along that um, line of the relationship between psychotherapy and medication, mm. um, Canadian Mental Health Association here in Toronto a number of years ago did a study on um, depression for clients who had been assessed with clinical depression. Mm. They had a control group where they didn't change anything. They had an experimental group where those clients um, remained on antidepressants, also participated in exercise 
three times a week, meditation and talk therapy. Mm. So the control group stayed on their medication without these other things involved, and pre, mid, and post tests, and at the end of a six-month period, those who were on their medication and participated in exercise three times a week, committed to meditation three times a week, and talk therapy, I forget whether it was once or every other two weeks, mm -hmm. showed a statistically significant decrease in their depressive symptoms compared to the group that simply were on depression. Right. Uh, sorry, antidepressants. So it's not an either-or situation for many people. It's a both-and. And in those, in every situation, we want to look at optimal health in relationship to the resources available to an individual in their community, and that they can afford to pay for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Tied to that, you know, to reference that statistic or. Uh, more that that research study is the regularity of or the consistency of self-care yes mm -hmm. you know if people are going regularly doing things that are good for their health whether it's emotional physical you know mental or spiritual, spiritual it's the regularity that will have an impact right. um, part of the talk therapy one it's usually regularized and consistent but it also helps set up these other things that are good for the person right you know, not everyone will go to the gym or finds that life-giving. Mm. But then what else is there for them? They don't know. Or they don't know what their uh, true joy or flow states are. are. Yeah. Mm. Right. Um, so as we wrap up this this mm. conversation, um, I'm just curious, you know, we, we covered a lot of ground. Mm. Um, do, do either of you have any uh, last thoughts or things that we may not have gotten to but are worth thinking about for those who are working through certain emotional challenges, psychological challenges. Uh, any, I'll, I'll give you guys the floor for any last thoughts or words of encouragement. You know, the, the thing that uh, just echoes for me, um, and I apologize because it was something that, that I said, you know, coming to your own assistance, it's always okay, mm -hmm. right? It's always okay to seek improvement, to seek a better s sense of self, others, and the world. And there are many entry points to do that. And it's, uh, it is always experimental. It's always gathering information and always sets the, s the stage for the next action of coming to assistance for yourself. Uh, resetting that rock it's not about being perfect. It's about being willing to be faithful to ourselves. Mm. And other people may not like it. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. Well said. They can reset their own lock. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I would add is yeah. um, don't accept the lie that the way things are or the way things will always be. Absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, you could be coming to your own aid, but just taking the step to test that theory. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have tried things on your own that uh, resulted in the same outcome. That doesn't mean that if you try something different or with a different person, that the outcome won't be different. Anything can change. There's nothing that's impossible. Don't give up on yourself. Stay true to yourself and do what you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. 
and it is liberating, right? Mm. When you open up that lock and you realize through the help of, you know, your therapist, your friends, um, the community that you have around good habits and, and, and shift in, in, in your lifestyle, it, it is night and day when you do cross that bridge. And it can be a very scary bridge, no doubt, because it's like we we're talking about earlier, it's our childhood right. traumas that we're trying to cross on this rickety bridge. We have no idea what the other side looks like. But most often, that rickety bridge is not as scary to go over. And the other side is so much better. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, then, the, then the next rickety bridge doesn't feel so insecure. Absolutely. We build yeah. the confidence that we can continue to cross rickety bridges. Absolutely. To yeah. the other side. It's the confidence in yourself as, yes. as you grow. Um, so this podcast is all about pursuing your life's ikigai, which in you know, mm. Japanese means the... The reason for being, the reason we wake up in the morning. And um, I'm so grateful that the three of us here had a chance to have this conversation because emotional and mental health is critical if you are going to live a life with Ikigai and have clarity on what your North Star will look like. Um, because if you have this mist and cloud before, you'll never be able to see what the destination looks like. So that was why it was really important for me to speak with two incredible psychotherapists here in Toronto. And hopefully this message resonates beyond just this city, this country, to the world. Um, I, I, I'm sure people have been inspired by what you had to say. And um, again, for those of you listening, if you are looking for uh, you know, mental health support, please go seek it out. Please give it a try. Um, there's some great recommendations that these guys have shared on testing out the types of therapy that you might want to explore. And we'll continue to explore this topic. And I'd love to have you guys on at another point further on in this podcast because um, you have so much wisdom to share. So I just want to thank you both again for, for being on this. And uh, well, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. It's been uh, a pleasure to walk into the mist with you. Yeah, this was that. a great experience for your listeners. We obviously do in-person sessions in Toronto. Uh, we also do them, uh, offer online sessions. So we can be anywhere in the world and we can still be of assistance. Uh, you can find me at uh, peterstathakos.com. Stathakos is spelled S-T-A-T-H-A-K-O-S. First name Peter. Dot com. And you can find me, Frank Kewin, K-E-W-I-N, on Psychology Today under Therapists or on theravive.com, T-H-E-R-A-V-I-V-E, and just look up Frank Kewin, or just Google me. You'll How do you spell Kewin? K-E-W-I-N. <laughs> Nod your head, yes. Yes, Nod that's how you spell yes. And I'll include both of this information into the show notes for, for all of these episodes that we'll be releasing so people will get a chance to find out where you are and, and connect with you. So Thank you. That's great. And if we don't fit, we'll help you find somebody who does. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening. Special thank you to Hugh for the theme music. 
You can check them out at herehue.bandcamp.com. If you're interested in learning more about the Ikigai Project, you can check out the blog at ikigai.blog. And if you found this content useful, please subscribe or tell a friend or family member about this podcast. I'll see you next week for another episode of the Ikigai Project. Take good care for now, everyone. I need to feel love.